Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Liberty and Fire podcast. This is your host, Libertarian Tony. So this podcast is going to take a look at some interesting history with regards to the government and vaccines, and I'll try to tie that in with the coronavirus. But I want you to keep in the back of your mind that government is not the answer. Government will not fix all your problems, and government will not protect you. Okay, so keep that in the back of your head. Now, it's a pretty commonly held myth that the state has cultivated about itself, that the government, through its various programs, has drastically reduced some of the more common communicable diseases of the 20th century. And for decades, government has required a certain number of vaccinations for entry into their government schools, and most parents generally go along with this pretty passively. But before the vaccine era, let's go back even further in history to around 1900. In the early 1900s, there were a bunch of infectious diseases that accounted for a little over 40% of the total mortality in the U.S. Today, only a tiny fraction of total mortality results from those same illnesses. And what the government wants you to believe is that their intervention is directly tied to a reduction in these infectious diseases. And of course, through the use of their basically mandatory vaccination programs. However, what the government doesn't tell you is that most of the reduction in the death rates came not from these vaccination programs, but from factors having little or nothing to do with government intervention at all. So between a period around 1910 to 1935, the leading causes of childhood deaths from infectious diseases in the U.S. were from diphtheria, pertussis, scarlet fever, and measles. And by 1945, the combined death rates from these causes had declined by 95%. And this is all before the implementation of these mass immunization government programs. So what caused this big drop in childhood deaths? Well, you won't get the truth from the government, who wants to be idolized as your savior. The reduction was from better living conditions, better hygiene and sanitation, and the general results of a market economy working to provide the things that people wanted and needed to succeed. This had more to do with decline in mortality than anything your government did. So this isn't going to be an extensive history of government debacles because that would probably take hours and hours to produce. So I'm just going to give you some quick hits on some of these communicable diseases that our nation faced and some government mishaps along the way. And let me tell you, the government's track record isn't very good. Well, if you go way back to the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 uh, or 1919, during the fall and winter of those years, an estimated 500,000 Americans died of the Spanish influenza and millions more died overseas. The flu outbreak coincided with like the last days of World War I, and as you would have guessed, government actions guaranteed that the flu would spread more rapidly and widely than it otherwise should have. So one of the most important things to do during an epidemic is for those that are ill to come in as little contact with others as possible. However, your government leaders at the time 
crowded thousands of soldiers onto troop ships, many of which were already sick with the flu, and decided to ship them back to the United States. And upon setting foot on shore, large numbers of these soldiers with the flu went and spread it back to their homes and their families and communities. So this was one of the worst things you could have done to try to contain that deadly virus. Okay, now let's fast forward a few years and look at the polio debacle of 1955. So yes, polio was a pretty nasty disease and caused a significant amount of morbidity and mortality in the United States. And wouldn't you know it, your government launched a mass vaccination program against polio. And shortly after its launch, it had to be abandoned. Why do you ask? Well, approximately 200,000 children received the polio vaccine, and within days, there were reports of paralysis. Follow-up investigations revealed that the vaccine itself caused approximately 40,000 cases of polio, leaving 200 children with varying degrees of paralysis and killing 10. Okay, now let's fast forward about 20 years to the winter of 1975-76. So you have this new strain of influenza that was causing lots of respiratory infections in an army post in New Jersey at uh, Fort Dix. Initially, the virus was thought to be closely related to the 1918 Spanish flu virus, and of course, this caused a significant amount of panic throughout the country, and especially amongst your politicians. So, as you would have it, the Ford administration took this up as a huge campaign issue, and together with the CDC, who wanted to look like a band of heroes, all jumped on board for another mass vaccination movement. The Congress, of course, signed on to this fiasco, and your all-knowing politicians wanted every person in the United States to receive these new flu shots. President Ford himself said at a press conference that the government's plan was to vaccinate every man, woman, and child in the United States. Well, within 10 months of the vaccination program and approximately 45 million people getting vaccinated, serious adverse side effects started popping up and killed nearly 100 people. And to top it all off, not only did an epidemic of swine flu not materialize, but it also turned out that the flu itself wasn't even related to the virus from the 1918 epidemic. Those who were actually infected with the swine flu only suffered mild illness, whereas among those getting the vaccine, this resulted in over 450 people developing Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease where your own immune system attacks your central nervous system, thereby causing paralysis. So this was a, a pandemic that never was, and as well-intentioned as your public health officials are, it's easy to see how some of them can get blinded by fear, but also blinded by fame. Many of these people are in a spotlight, such as prominent politicians and presidents and high-ranking public health officials, and they all want to be seen as saving society, and they want to be seen as heroes and saving the nation from pandemics. And unfortunately, many times there's an adoring press waiting to record and praise their every move rather than demonstrate a little general curiosity and skepticism where it's really needed most. Okay, one more example for you. Let's fast forward another 20 years or so into the late 90s. 
Now, this vaccine blunder was, of course, courtesy of your CDC and involved the vaccine for the rotavirus. Now, the rotavirus is an extremely common pathogen which infects lots and lots of school children every year up until about the age of five or so. Patients usually get mild diarrhea, but at the time, approximately 50,000 kids ended up in the hospital each year, and some kids even died. So in September of 1998, the FDA approved a vaccine called the RotaShield. And despite evidence that the vaccine had shown 30 times the rate of a potentially fatal intestinal blockage, this statistic was somehow deemed insignificant and the vaccine was recommended for all infants anyway around June of 1999. Well, as early as July of that year, there was unequivocal evidence that the vaccine was causing intestinal damage. And about a year and one million vaccinated children later, there were approximately 90 to 100 cases of bowel obstruction and two deaths. And it was estimated that only a small percentage of the vaccine-caused injuries were actually reported and attributed to the vaccine itself, so the number of vaccine-related injuries is likely much higher. So what am I trying to tell you here? While some vaccines clearly can be helpful in preventing disease, they can be dangerous in the hands of a government that wants to apply them indiscriminately. As a physician, I'd like to keep the government out of telling patients what they have to or don't have to stick in their bodies and leave that decision up to the doctors and patients themselves to discuss. So before you go running off and get that new coronavirus vaccine, which is expected to be ready in the next 12 to 18 months, but really, I mean, who knows when, why not wait a little while? Maybe don't go out and get the first version of the vaccine. Would it be so bad to wait a little while longer and see what the side effects are, maybe after a few hundred thousand people are vaccinated, to really see if it makes sense for you to get the vaccine? More than likely, your government and the CDC will tell you that it's safe, but as I've already demonstrated to you, people in government even government doctors and infectious disease specialists, they aren't all-knowing. They're just fallible human beings like me and you, and of course prone to make mistakes and believing their own hype. There will likely be a large government push, as well as public peer pressure to get this vaccine when it comes out, but I urge caution. A mild wait-and-see approach is prudent in my opinion. Don't make yourself a government guinea pig. After a few hundred thousand people get the vaccine, we'll have a much better idea about the possible benefits and side effects and its effectiveness, and then you can make an informed decision. Okay guys, thank you for listening, and let's remember to keep those fires of liberty burning bright. 